Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Uh, you may have seen that we've been kind of MIA for a while. Uh, apologize for that. The, the coronavirus hit here in Haiti in March. And at that point, you know, we were cranking along here with the podcast and releasing the, the sermons every week. Uh, but then our, our attention had to shift pretty quickly over to producing video services to broadcast live on Facebook. Um, social distancing measures came into place pretty quick here in Haiti, and gatherings of more than five people were restricted and still are restricted. This is uh, June 14th, 2020 right now. We're still uh, on restriction, can't have more than five people gathering together. And so as a result, we're not able to meet in person at Kiskea Chapel. And so we're broadcasting our services live on Facebook. And if you're interested in following that, you can go over to facebook.com slash Kiskea Chapel, and you can find all of our services there. Um, but uh, because of the learning curve involved with getting those videos up and all the work involved, we had to pause the podcast. Um, but we've been able to stream, streamline things a little bit, and, and uh, I've got a little more time available, and so uh, hopefully we can get these sermons back up again as well. Uh, but just a quick update. Uh, this, as I said, is June 14th, 2020. The coronavirus has been here in Haiti since March, um, and only really since the end of May uh, into the early part of June have we seen exponential growth here uh, in Haiti. So social distancing measures are still in place, and we're not sure when we're going to be able to start meeting again. Uh, Pastor Mack and his wife Laurel had traveled to the United States um, just before the pandemic hit. They had a previously scheduled trip to go and perform a wedding uh, in Missouri, and shortly after they arrived in Missouri, the pandemic hit here in Haiti, and the borders were closed, and they have not been able to get back since. The borders remain closed. The airport remains closed presently here um, in June. So as soon as things open up again, they'll be coming back to Haiti. Uh, but in the meantime, Pastor Mac has been preaching his messages still where he is in Missouri and recording those for us and sending them to us. And we've been able to incorporate those into uh, our Facebook live broadcast every Sunday morning. And so uh, what we want to do now is uh, start to pass some of those messages here as well. Um, right now as a church, we are studying the book of Joshua. And so if you want to follow along, you can go to aim-joshua.com. That's www.aim-joshua.com. Or if you go over to our website, kiskeachapel.org, you can find information there about it as well. But we're reading through the book of Joshua together. We have readings scheduled every day. And then Pastor Mac records a brief little uh, video devotional to go along with the passage for the day. And then you've got some other resources there that you can click as well. And so I encourage you to participate in that and read along with us. And then every Sunday morning, Pastor Mac will select one of the passages that we read during the week, and that's the passage that he'll be preaching from on Sunday morning. Uh, and so would love for you to track along with us on that. Um, but without further ado, we're going to shift over now. And uh, this is Sunday morning, June 14th, 2020. And uh, coming up next is the message that Pastor Mac preached for us today. Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. 
1986, it's a long time ago, I was a young man and I had the privilege of living in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, my last name is McIlvain and so that's why Pastor Mac and uh, so it was really fun to go back and see my ancestors' homeland in Scotland. I, I was on a fellowship that allowed me to go study at the University of Edinburgh and uh, we lived there for about 10 months. And during that time, one of the things we got uh, used to doing is what the Scottish call rambling. It just means hiking. And they have all these green hills. And it's very cold. It's kind of the opposite of Haiti there <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum. But we would get all bundled up and we'd head out and go rambling out in this area called the Pentland Hills, which is just this beautiful rolling hill area. No trees or anything, just sheep and cattle and all over the hills. And so we're out wandering around, trying to follow a map, but we're hopelessly lost out in the middle of the Pentland Hills. And we, we can't see a farm or anything for miles. And so we're looking at the map, a friend named Steve and my wife and I, and we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get home? How did, how did we get here in the first place? We're trying to figure out <laughs> how do we find our way back? And while we're arguing and addressing this issue of uh, how do we find our way back, all of a sudden we hear this noise. Meow, meow. It's just like a cat running towards us and screaming as much as a cat can scream. Like it's trying to get our attention. And we're kind of going, that's interesting, but we're ignoring it until the cat starts kind of rubbing up against our legs and screaming like, hey, listen to me. We kind of look at each other, we gotta go. And then it kind of goes a little distance and it turns around and looks back. It's looking at us like it's saying, follow me. Come on, follow me. So I've got a picture we'll put up here because I took a picture of it because it's such a strange phenomena. But we decided, oh, what the heck? We don't know what we're doing. We'll follow the cat. So the cat would go ahead of us 100 yards or so, and, and it would stop and meow, and kind of look at us like, come on, come on, we're going. So we kept following the cat. We followed that cat for a long time, and all of a sudden we see a farmhouse. And we're like, oh. Now we know where we are on the map, and we get all the way there. I, I don't have this picture, but uh, my friend does. This amazing picture of the cat takes us all the way to the farm, and there's horses on the farm, and it comes to the gate, and literally the cat and the horse touch noses like, done, got them here, they're yours now. <laughs> well, we eventually found our way home. But it's kind of bizarre to take directions from a cat but we had a guide cat. Thank goodness that day we had a guide cat. Well, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And so I wanna talk this morning from the passage we're studying this week. One of the passages, Joshua chapter three, verses one through five. If you're following along in the AIM journals, uh, AIM online, you can go to aim-joshua and you can find kind of the weekly readings and a little commentary and some study links and worship links and stuff. And we really encourage you to do it. AIM stands for Abide in Me. 
which is just our priority at Kiskea Chapel to say the number thing we want is a church filled with abiders, people who know how to stay connected, abide in Jesus. And so we're trying to give tools like this on a daily basis. Well, here we are in Joshua. We just finished up chapter three in Joshua. And I wanna state the principle simply first. Joshua gives us this simple principle about how to be guided as a disciple of Jesus. The principle is this, when the ark moves, you move. <laughs> there it is. When the ark moves, you move, you follow. But until it moves, wait, wait on the Lord. Now this is quite the opposite of what the world tells us. The world, and, and, and by the way, I think this transcends all cultures. It doesn't matter whether it's America or Haiti or Europe or Africa or wherever. There is in the world this idea that the way you, you, you decide where to go in life, the way you get guidance is listen to your heart, follow your heart. This is the fundamental view of those apart from Christ, follow your heart and many people spend their lives trying to figure out what's my heart telling me how, how do I follow my heart we, we hear this message in music and TV and films and pretty much everything we hear this idea that we should follow our hearts even though the scriptures couldn't be clear Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 what does Jeremiah say look at it 17 9 Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now I want you to note here, Jeremiah doesn't just say the heart's deceitful. He says it's deceitful above all things. <laughs> it's like the most deceitful thing you could possibly follow. It's worse than a guide cat. Can you imagine that? Getting your directions from a guide cat. Well, Jeremiah suggests that getting your directions from your heart is worse than a guide cat. And yet the world continues to bang that drum. Follow your heart, follow your heart. That's the exact opposite of Joshua's advice here in chapter three. Joshua tells the people, no, 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 follow the ark, follow the ark. <laughs> now, before we dive into this principle of how to get guidance from God, I, I wanna make sure I'm clear here. I'm not telling you all the things. The Bible has many things to say about learning how to follow the leading of God. Uh, but I think I wanna bring out one principle that's clear throughout scripture that's illustrated here in Joshua chapter three. Before we do that, I wanna talk about the context of this moment in biblical history. Joshua chapter three tells us Joshua and the Israelites are poised on the east side of the Jordan River, just about to make an entry into the Promised Land. So this is an amazing historical moment in the Old Testament. Now, think about the context here. Joshua was probably in his 20s when this whole thing started. Moses confronted the great Pharaoh of Egypt and said, you need to let my people go. In fact, the text tells us that in the book of Exodus, it says that Moses was in his early 80s when he went to Pharaoh and made these demands. So we can guess here that Joshua, 
through a lot of other references, was probably uh, in his 20s when this confrontation took place. Well, you remember the story in Exodus. Moses begins to send plagues to Pharaoh, saying, God's telling you, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, 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 I'm not interested. Those are just magic tricks. And so all these plagues befall Israel all the way until the final plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, unless you let my people go, the firstborn from every family will die. And he says to the Israelites, now you can avoid this if you take the blood of a sacrificial lamb and you paint it on the doorpost of your home. Then the angel of death will pass over. That's where we get the name Passover. And so this occurs. And Pharaoh is so devastated by the death of the firstborn, he finally just gives up and says, go, just get out of here, go. And so Moses leads the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they move towards the promised land, just like God had told them to, uh, stopping along the way with this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army chasing them. Well, when they get to the edge of what God had promised them, the promised land, Moses sends in 12 spies to check out the land. And Joshua, that we're reading here, Joshua was one of those 12 spies. And you remember from the teaching last week, we talked about how 10 of the spies came back with a report, the land is big, the grapes are big, everything's big, but the enemies are bigger. We probably shouldn't try and take this on. Joshua and Caleb come back with a minority report. They say land is big, enemies are bigger, but God is the biggest. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> Again, at this moment, Joshua was probably in his 20s still, maybe his early 30s. In fact, Joshua chapter 14 verse 7 tells us 40 years later that Caleb, his partner at the time, told us that he was 40 years old when he and Joshua went in to spy out the land. So this means that Joshua, we don't know how close he was as a contemporary of Caleb's, but he was probably somewhere between 68 and 78 here in Joshua chapter 3. Somewhere between 68 and 78 years old. So this is 40 years after the time that Joshua said, let's go, let's take the land, God is bigger. And now he stands at the east side of the Jordan, waiting 40 years later. Think about that for a second. That means that Joshua waited on the Lord the entire prime of his life, from his probably early 30s to his early 70s. He's waiting. They're wandering around the world. Nothing really significant is happening in terms of the promise of taking the land. Uh, no peers. In fact, the, the text tells us that everyone under 20 during the Exodus uh, was able to see the land, but anybody over 20 died in the desert. That means Joshua and Caleb are the only old guys left. It's just the two of them and a bunch of people under 60, at least under 60. No peers, no friends, no ex-girlfriends, no ex-co-workers. Joshua has been put on hold during this critical prime of his life. Now, for some of you, isn't that kind of what you struggle with? God, I'm, I'm ready to go. 
you seem like you've got me on hold. Why? Well, Joshua had to learn this principle the hard way. After 40 years of waiting, he finally sees the value of waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. And so in verse 3 of chapter 3, listen to what it says. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the priest, you shall set out from your place and follow. Notice the order there. The ark goes first, and then you follow. Ark first, you follow. Not heart first, then try and get God to follow. Ark first, then you follow. When the ark moves, you move. Remember, that's our principle. When the ark moves, that's when you move. The great Baptist author Henry Blackaby wrote a book about this called Experiencing God. The way he would put it is he'd say, wait to see where God is already working and then go join him. I'm going to read a quote to you from that book. He says, we don't choose what we'll do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. If Christians around the world were to suddenly renounce their personal agendas, their life goals, their aspirations, and instead began responding in radical obedience to everything God showed them, the world would be uh, turned upside down. He writes, how do we know that? Because that's what the first century Christians did. They put their agendas on hold and surrendered to say, when the ark moves, we'll follow it. God moves first, and then we follow. That is the opposite of the way the world tells us to do things. Think about how often the Bible illustrates this principle. Let me give you one example from the Old Testament. <clears throat> in 1 Samuel 15, we're told that the prophet Samuel has just kinged Israel's first king, King Saul. He's a great warrior, and he's ready to go take the forces and attack their enemies, and he's amazing at it. But Samuel tells him, no, wait for the Lord. Do not go forth until I come and offer the appropriate sacrifice. Well, Saul gets a little impatient. He decides, no, 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 I'm going to follow my heart first. And my heart's telling me now's the time to attack. And so they attack, disobey God, they keep some of the booty, they spare King Agag, all kinds of things. And then Samuel shows up and Saul goes, oh, oh, you're, you're kind of late. But I did everything I was supposed to. I did, I obeyed what God said. And Samuel says, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ear? You can read it, 1 Samuel 15, 14. What then is this bleeding of sheep I hear, this lowing of oxen I hear? You see, Saul got the order wrong. He followed his heart and then tried to get God on board. Instead of wait for the ark, wait for God to see what he's doing, and then follow him. So what do I mean when I say wait for the ark? Well, the ark's like a symbol of God's presence, a, a memory of God is powerful. He can do sovereignly, he can do whatever he wants. And it could be many things that could demonstrate that. In this case, the ark held all the things during their wilderness crossings that told them God was with them. So they said, yeah, wait till the ark goes and then we move. Look at the New Testament. We see this same lesson. 
think about it for a second. Jesus enters into the world as Messiah. He knows he has the power for miracles, for healing. He can do anything he wants, and yet he waits. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and waits for the Lord to tell him to return and begin his ministry. He doesn't do any miracles, apparently, until age 30, when God says, now. And Jesus often used the phrase, my time has not yet come. And even when he starts doing miracles and healings, do you remember what he says? We just went through the Gospel of Mark. What does Jesus say when he heals someone early in Mark? Don't tell anybody about this. It's not my time yet. <laughs> he waited on the ark, and then he moved. He waited for God, and then he moved. Same thing, note what Jesus says to the disciples. He's resurrected from the dead. They've seen him. They know his power. They know who he is. They had to be chomping at the bit. Come on, let's go. Jesus said, go take the world. Let's go do it. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says that Jesus orders them. By the way, it's not often that Jesus gives direct orders, but he orders them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. You can read it there. Jesus is simply articulating this principle of guidance. Wait for the ark to move and then follow it. There are so many verses on this theme. The Psalms are filled with this phrase, wait on the Lord, wait patiently on the Lord, wait, wait, wait. My favorite one is one you might be familiar with, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The old hymn used to say, teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. <clears throat> I'd like to finish this story with a story about my own life and how I got to Port-au-Prince. Uh, I cannot say in my life I have been good at waiting on the Lord. I have often followed the advice of the world and said, what's my heart telling me to do? I should go take hold of it. And then I'll say, God, come on, help me out here. Get, get on board. Follow me. Me first, you follow. I've always, it seems, been pressing my heart, my agenda, my strategies. Well, along came March of 2015. It's a critical moment in my life, in Laurel's life. I had an accident during a routine surgery. I went in for this very simple little surgery and the surgeon slipped with a laser and he cut open my colon. He didn't know it. Uh, it was an accident. But that accident led me to the edge of death. Uh, when I woke up, I was <laughs> on breathing machines, they had tubes everywhere. My family was in a semicircle around my bed crying and I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> something, something went terribly wrong. Uh, I almost lost my life there. At least uh, my nurse friend tells me, you have no idea how close you were. We had a prayer service thinking we were saying goodbye to you. Well, I spent that summer and the next year and a half or so 
fighting my way back, trying to build up strength again for walking and just normal skills and was making real progress. So I was getting antsy. Okay, God, let's get back to my agenda. Now, during this time, I had to shut down all the ministries I'd been involved with. I had a church planting organization that oversaw various churches. I was leading uh, a new church plant. We were about two and a half, maybe three years into that church plant and just starting to see uh, the way forward. I had a seminary that trained church planters uh, called MAP, Theological Seminary. And I would work with usually 15 to 30 students and often would take them with me to start planting churches or send them out with people to plant churches. And all those things blew apart. I mean, in an instant. When I came out of surgery and could talk to the doctors, they said to me, you have to shut all that down. You're gonna to have to take at least a year or more where you're not doing any work, you're just recovering. I was like, what? That's not my agenda. That's not what my plan is. But there it was. It was so painful. More painful than the physical stuff was all the deaths that I had to watch. Uh, the death of that church plant. The death of the organization that I oversaw. Uh, the death of my seminary. I had to close it down and had many of my students said, yeah, we're just going to go do something else. Uh, it was profoundly disappointing time. I felt betrayed. I felt alone. I felt like I was waiting in the wilderness. That's what it felt like. Uh, my wait was only five years <laughs> from March of 2015. Uh, it was a little less than five years later that out of nowhere, I get a call from Kiskea Chapel. Somebody saying, you need to apply for this. Well, that wasn't even on my agenda, my radar screen. I'd been looking at other opportunities and it seemed like God would open a door and then boom, and it would slam shut. I did some things that I really enjoyed doing as I was trying to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do now? And this was really, and still is, really, really hard for me. I, I, I look back and I think he was saying, wait, 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 wait. Well, to me, those five years seem like longer than 40. <laughs> and I was waiting for any guide cat to show up and help me figure out the way forward. But nothing seemed to open up and we were kind of discouraged by it. I kept praying, God, what are we doing here? I, I don't know what you want me to do. I look back now and I think his answer was, wait, wait till the ark moves, then you move. <laughs> well, when I heard about this opportunity at Kiskea Chapel, I gotta tell you, I was like, no, no, I don't speak Creole. I don't, I've not found myself effective preaching through translator. I had all these reasons and God seemed to me begin knocking those reasons down one by one. <laughs> now, the truth is I'd been to Haiti between Laurel and I probably close to 20 different times, taking groups down, usually up in the area of Fond du Blanc. And we were, we had a heart for Haiti. We had, we'd exposed hundreds of people 
to ministry in Haiti. But I just never thought I was supposed to go. I, I never thought that was something that God was, that wasn't my agenda. It wasn't what I was thinking God wanted me to do. Well, we kept nudging forward. We finally came down for a visit at Kiskea and I preached a couple of weeks and uh, still trying to go, God, what? I don't think this, this isn't what I was planning on. I don't think this is it. But on the plane ride home to Miami, Laurel and I looked at each other on the plane and we said, okay, <laughs> is not God opening a clear door here? I'm learning this principle now from Joshua 3.3. When the ark moves, you move, follow it. I didn't quite understand why then, why Haiti, why any of this stuff. It didn't make sense to my agenda. But I think now I look at it and I go, I think that's maybe God's open door. Still not sure exactly what I have to offer, but I'm learning this principle of arc first, then follow. Arc first, then follow. Biblical guidance is not following a black cat in Scotland, nor is it following your heart. It's waiting, waiting for the ark to move and then to follow. As Isaiah put it, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Teach me, Lord, teach me this principle. Ark first, then follow. We hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.